0: Hey everyone, Luke here with a very special episode of the Football Ramble, made possible by Nivea Men, together with Talk Club, a men's mental health charity. Together, they're championing a new way to think about our mental fitness through their Strength in Numbers campaign. We're often told it's important to talk and open up, but we're not taught how to start that conversation So the Strength in Numbers campaign promotes a simple question that's proven to help men of all ages start talking with each other about how they're feeling. Put simply, ask someone, how are you out of 10, with 1 being low and 10 being the best day of your life? It's easily used in everyday conversation with your friends, family, teammates and colleagues. Your number can and will change, of course, and that's okay. We also don't have to be daunted by these conversations. They can become natural um, over time. We just need to get our practice in. So, to have one of those exact conversations, I'm delighted to be sitting down with a true legend of English football, Rio Ferdinand. Uh, Rio once said that he was the last person who would have spoken openly about mental health, but he's since become a massive advocate for the cause. We sat down to chat about how closed off he was during his playing days, um, how listening to a problem can be just as important as trying to solve it, and some of the tools he uses today to look after his own mental health. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by, in my view, and I've said this over several episodes of the Football Ramble over the years, so it would be remiss of me not to repeat it now, the greatest defender the Premier League has ever seen, uh, Rio Ferdinand. Rio, thank you very much for joining me today. It's a beautiful intro. Fantastic.
1: I'll come again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've always said it. I've always said it. Um Thank it's great you. it's great to have you along. Uh thanks for joining us on the ramble. Um it's awesome to yeah, to have you to have you here with us. And um I think the best place for me to start on this um on this episode is is to ask you, as you and I sit here today, how are you out of ten?
1: Um, I'd say I'm a solid seven or eight mm-hmm. out of ten. Um I'm feeling good. Um I think I've had a weekend of where communication levels have been really good. And I think that's an important factor, I think, in feeling good. When you communicate how you feel, yeah, someone else or people around you that you care about or you're involved in, care, communicate their feelings as well. The mm. picture's always that much clearer.
0: Mm. And so is that something you consciously decide to do? Or do you feel like it's something that comes like, fairly naturally to you now when you're discussing how you feel?
1: Do you know what? It's, it's since I met my missus, I've got to be honest, mm. I was never really a good communicator before that. And then mm-hmm. I met Kate, and then she's really good and qu- got really open lines of communication mm. um, and she's kind of pushed me into that way of thinking because I think when you communicate and you share good times but also you share your problems and bad times mm. um those the, those problems that are shared are always kind of they feel less heavy mm. on your shoulders so um and once you're through it, I always feel when you' had a Even just having a a tough conversation with someone either at work or in your family or something like that. When you have that communication or that conversation, you feel that much
0: lighter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think you're absolutely right. And so is it something that you would, I mean, you alluded to it there saying that you've kind of changed a bit since you're with your current partner. Is it something that you would say that, because you and I are about the same age, right? So when we were younger, maybe. 31. Yeah, exactly, 31 exactly. Thirty-one next week. Um, (laughs) Sadly not. But obviously you grew up and and, and have always worked in a far more high-pressure environment than me, but I think obviously we're we're people of the same generation. Is it something that you feel like maybe wasn't even really on the radar for you as a young man?
1: Yeah, I think young men in our era, generation, we were definitely brought up to kind of have a stone face and a hard exterior. Yeah. Um, And if you did have any... of those feelings of vulnerability or emotions, you better make sure you quash them quickly. Mm. Um, and I very much became that a little bit. I was quite hardened and quite. Um, I had no. I had no real empathy. I wouldn't say or compassion for some people. Yeah. Um, when they had issues, um, I wasn't I completely stoned, but I was. I wasn't where I am today, one hundred percent. And the culture now. Now. In work environments, in home environments, you'd like to think has changed and softened slightly, but mm. there's loads of room, much more room to be uh, for work to be done.
0: And, and, and is that is part of that for you a sort of side effect from the industry that you made your made your way in the, the trade you kind of applied? Because I can imagine, mm. you know, you don't want to be showing any kind of uh, chink in your armor because you are have to be super competitive every single day of your professional life and you don't want to cause any problems for yourself. Is that is that, would that, would that have been a part of it looking back?
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, if you might watched a documentary I'd done on BBC a few years ago. Yeah. Um, about a issues that I'd gone through and the mental health element. And a big part of my makeup as a football player was to not, you, you don't show emotion. You don't show weakness, especially. Um, if you're going to show any type of emotion, weakness isn't the one you show. Yeah. Um, uh, An emotion. And and I saw people that come into the dressing room who when I look back now and I think about it and think they were going through a tough time. I could see it just based on just injuries, forget what's going on in their life. Yeah. And I didn't really entertain anything about that at all. I, I watched it happen and watched people kind of ghosting and slithering and out of the training ground, not wanting to be around anybody, lack of confidence, feeling that vulnerability within the squad. Uh, as someone whose opportunity and chance at the club might be slipping away because of um, things that are happening to them physically. And I just didn't even have any time in my in my headspace to even think about addressing that because I, I just thought about things. Things like that I thought were a negative impact on our team's quest to try and win. Mm. And it was such such the backwards way of looking at it, whereas it felt if you'd looked and taken an interest and spoken to those people and paid a bit more attention to those things, you might have been able to help those people get back on track and then become a positive impact then on your team's chances of winning.
0: Yeah, and I think from my point of view as a football fan, because uh, that's all I've ever really been, it was it's interesting because when you were planning your, at your peak, I think even for me then... It was very hard for me to even think about the idea of a football player as a human being. If you know what I mean, it was all yeah. a bit like, you know, you're on the TV, you're brilliant at what you do, you play, you play, have a, you know, in my view, you have a good game or a bad game, and that's all I'd really think about. And and if someone had an injury, a physical injury as a player, you would be able to quantify that because you go, okay, right, well, they've got, you know, they've got a sprained ankle or a broken leg, whatever. Um, so we understand that, but it was never really on the radar to say for anyone to really say or report or, or have a view on someone struggling mentally to be able to fulfil the job they they do. And it, was, it wasn't really even on the radar for us to think about something as simple as, you know, you've just had a family or something, so you've got a young baby at home and it's really tough because, you know, you, you're a new dad or whatever. None of that stuff was ever really talked about. So I think from our point of view as a football community, from the other side of the fence, we probably didn't offer a huge amount of support either. It wasn't really on our radar to do so.
1: It, well, mental health wasn't even a, it wasn't part of any sentence, was it? Mental health, no. you go into a mental home, that's it, and you looked upon and frowned upon, probably, and sniggered at in some by some quarters. Yeah, um, if you mentioned mental health back in the day, I, me- I remember Carlos Quiros, um, and his approach to training was very different to us English lads. We were mm. very much like hundred mile an hour in training, every day, and he was just he used to just chill in training. Really, come game, he was an animal, right? right. But, i remember when we one day we walked out of training and i walked past him and he was he was actually laying face down on on the bed getting a massage right and this was training we're going out training i said i went to the coach outside what's going on with carlos what's he doing having a a massage he's not injured you know he's not injured but he's just had a baby Mm. and he's a bit tired a bit drained and looking back now that's mentally and physically um and that's the, that was the right way to approach it, but he had to kind of implement that and demand that he have a day off and have a massage, whereas us English guys were just bat on. Got to be yeah. hard. Got to get through this. And we all kind of laughed at Carlos around that time about that and was like, "This is a joke." It's this with disbelief, really. Like, what's, we've all had kids, mate. Jesus, like, what right. makes you special? Yeah, but you have to. You have to be able to look at it like that. Everyone's case is very individual. Everyone deals with things very differently. And yeah, some some people may struggle at times, and you've got to be able to
0: accommodate that. Did you did you ever feel like you had a, uh, you know, close friends, in the professional environment then, that you would be able to open up to about that stuff? And and it, it, from what you know, because obviously you're still very active in the game, has that changed for young players now? I just don't think it was our culture. too. you, were, you just didn't.
1: No, I mean, I, remember my, my my previous wife was passing away. Um, and the fella I, I, I went to to training with every day in the same car, Bobby Zamora, mm. didn't know for a long time.
0: Right. My teammates that I shared a dressing room with wouldn't know. What was it? What was the reason for that? That you didn't feel like you wanted to open up about that?
1: Just wasn't. That's football. That's a dress. That's where I go to work, and that's that's a place where no one needs to hear all that. No one needs to be a part of that. I can deal with this outside. I don't want to put any more strain and pressures on the guys there's enough pressure to win a football match to stay in the Premier League mm. um so I just didn't really feel it was it was the place to do it I just felt that you feel to yourself I think a lot of it is you become you feel like you're going to be a burden on people and I think that's quite a common feeling for a lot of young people not just men uh, and people of, of our generation as well like you, you don't want to put an extra burden on anyone else's shoulders or anyone else's table when they've got enough going on in their life. Um, When really, I think with with situations like that where people are feeling down, with hindsight, you think, you know what? People would actually embrace that now more. They'd want to help you. They'd want to open their arms and give you a cuddle Mm. and want to bring you in and have a coffee together, a cup of tea, Mm. whatever takes your fancy and just discuss how you're feeling and help you along the way. But I think we have to soften up the people with the problem sometimes as well.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes to me it feels like like when when it's talking about men, the way we we tend to be, I feel like, is that, and of course everyone's different, so I don't want to stereotype, but it feels like we try and be problem solvers, right? So if someone comes to us with something, we go, right, okay, how are we going to help? Whereas I think what women can be much better at is just listening, like just being an open ear to listen to what's happening and not try and solve it and just share it. Mm. And I think that is sometimes a lot more helpful for people because they feel like they're being listened to rather than having something Uh, else to deal with. It feels
1: like you've been a fly on the wall in my house a couple of times. Because my missus missus will tell me a problem she's got going on. And I talk about it from my point of view, which uh, i discuss with my mates. And most men, like you say, are like this. We try and help them solve the problem. And she's going, I don't want you to try and solve it. I end up in arguments with her. We only argue (laughs) about stuff like this. You get into a full blast row. Yeah. Because you're trying to solve it. And she said, I don't want you to solve my problem for me. I just want to be able to vent and you listen yeah, and just help me that way. And I, yeah. as a man, you're sitting there going, well, well why are you telling me then?
0: Yeah, you I am not the same. Just I'm solve looking it. ready to spring into action. And, yeah, and, exactly. And, well, what are we doing then? And, and, me, yeah. and I
1: think as men, we feel that don't discuss it. if there's not If you're not trying to make a solution, what's the point in discussing it? If there's no solution based at the foundations of why you're making that conversation?
0: Yeah. which is probably the wrong way to look at it. Definitely and I th- I think um as the other thing I would I, I would um I, the other thing I was thinking about when we were kind of was pre- prepping about talking to you today about this subject was the idea that I also feel like for some reason men don't seem to be in my experience it's only my experience men don't seem to be as good at maintaining friendships as they get older, right? So you get things get in the way, like you got everyone's got work going on, everyone's got a family and you know, your priority understandably goes towards your family when you get married and you have children and all the rest of it. And those friendships can tend to drift away. And I, I know plenty of men who are older than us, like, you know, maybe a generation or two older than us, who don't necessarily seem to have any real close friends at all. And that doesn't really seem to happen with women for some reason. Women seem much better at being able to to kind of maintain those relationships.
1: But are you meant to have the same mates? Are you meant to maintain the mates that you've had like? Are, I don't know if that has it, to
0: be the same, but just some mates is what I mean.
1: yeah, um no, I agree. I think women are definitely better at it they're better at socializing together when it when it doesn't have to con- uh, involve alcohol um mm. but it's weird. I looked at my life a few years ago and thought like there's certain people in my life that I only see when I'm having a drink, yeah. And like, is that right? Or yeah. is it just, just coincidence? It just always happens mm. like that. And it's, then there's certain people, uh, when we grow up as fellas, you only see them at gatherings. Mm. Then, it, then it becomes, I only see them at funerals. Mm. And, and then it's, yeah. like, it's like, but we we struggle to maintain it. Maybe we haven't got the capacity to be able to keep doing that along with our work. Yeah, um, That has gone off on a different tangent to all your other mates. Um, I think ideally, I think most men would say, I'd love to be able to just always be in contact and seeing my mates as much as possible. I've got a WhatsApp group with my mates I grew up with on my estate as a kid. Yeah. There's about six of us, yeah, seven of us. I don't think we've all been in the same room for over probably a couple of years even still. Yeah, WhatsApp groups yeah. are
0: massive, Rio. I'm the same, Like I've got mates who, some good group of mates who I grew up with, a couple of them live in London, but the others aren't in London, they're in Bristol and, and elsewhere. And that's a nice check in, you know. It always feels like you're not alone with that kind of stuff. You don't, mm. you say about not being in the same room for a couple of years. I, I can be the same, but actually, it doesn't always matter. What matters is you've always got someone to kind of bounce mm. off and have a laugh with and chat about. And and, and so th- I think WhatsApp groups have been really good for that.
1: They're good for that, but also they they still enable you to stay separated a little bit because you yeah. feel that you're connected. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think if you didn't have them WhatsApp groups, you'd you'd lose the day to day connections, but you probably gain in actual being more personable and being there. Yeah. Your time more. Um so there's a good and bad with it. But yeah, I I friendships are, and, and maintaining them are very difficult when you've got again, like you say, your own family that you're building and you're trying to build that and make that solid and your work life as well. Getting that balance is really um is, I, I find that quite difficult.
0: Did you did you how, I mean, you talked about how you've kind of softened as you got a bit older, and you've learned a lot from your from from your partner and stuff. Do, do you did you find that transition from being finishing as a player, where you have got this routine and you've got this really important part of your life, transitioning into no longer being a player? Did you find that t- as tough as some ex pros do?
1: No, because I prepared. Okay. Um, with my management company, we sat down at about twenty six, twenty seven, and was talking about preparing for retirement. From a business standpoint, what do I want to do? I wasn't sure if I was going to be a manager, um, but I wanted to, so I was doing my badges. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to go into media, but I had my I had five that I set up, and I was doing interviews with loads of people like Federer, LeBron, Cristiano, Fifty Cent, etc. Mm. So I had to be prepared for that. Um, I had a restaurant in Manchester that's still open now, actually, Rosso, um, a clothing brand that I was doing five. A foundation so I had like five or six avenues that were kind of there and ready and waiting for me once I get like 37 38 when I retired mm-hmm. for me to pick from and my life kind of determined where I went I wanted to be a coach but things happened off the field in my life where it didn't allow me to be now so I went into media but I was prepared so I think that's a big big thing for the players coming to the end of the game Um
0: being like preparing rather than reacting for retirement. And and the mental, if you didn't have all that stuff, and it's amazing that you has had such forethought to be able to do that, the mental challenge, if you didn't have that, would have been tough, presumably. Yeah, because you lose structure. You know,
1: we're cr- creatures of habits as humans. Uh, we have habits, we like structure, we like the day-to-day routine. And at, with football, I always say this, a, we get into an airport as a team, I don't look at one sign, I just follow feet right you go in there and just go bang one person points and you all just follow yeah and that's what happens constantly throughout your life as a football player never even seen a a, a local doctor wouldn't even know what a local surgery looks like do you mean it's it's don't don't really go shopping because you can't go shopping really because you get my so you just let you allow now we've got the shopping that gets delivered to your home Mm. there's so many things that once you retire you go back into normal normality and work in life And it's like, wow, I am not prepared for this. I get up every day at at 7.30, sort the kids out, drop them to nursery, go to training. Mm. Get home by 2 o'clock. Routine, routine, routine. All of a sudden that disappears. What the hell do you do? Mm. You start looking at your missus and seeing your missus probably another six, seven hours a day that you'd never... Hold on, this is someone I don't even know. Mm. Didn't even know she was like this. Didn't know she had these habits anymore. Like, that can probably creep into a lot of people's um, lifestyles. And it's it is very, it's like a, it becomes a, a daunting kind of prospect when you get into that point, I'm sure, speaking to loads of ex-players. When they get into retirement and they have not prepared, it does become a bit of a panic. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I've got nothing yeah. in place. And then once you're there, it's very hard to speed that wheel up to find a career when you're in panic mode.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that about the the doctor's appointment because I this work with Matt Murray, I don't know if you know Matt, the goalkeeper yeah. at Wolves and that, yeah. And he said to me cuz he had to retire early because of injury sadly and he said he he didn't he was he was ashamed to say it at the time he said he didn't know how to order, he didn't know how to book a doctor's appointment. He didn't know how I to was do the it. The same. Cuz it's embarrassing. Yeah, it's yeah. embarrassing.
1: I just have ring the club doctor for me and my whole family. Mm. If my kids were sick off school they would come into training and see the club doc. Right. It's unreal. Like we were so like mollycoddled. It was, but it's just part of the culture of, of, of football clubs. And it's great when you're in there, but when you leave, I still ring the club doctor every now and again, if I've got an issue with certain things, because I'm closer to that cl- that doctor. I've known him for 12 year- odd years yeah. and I trust him. And I'd ring him before I'd ring my local doctor, weirdly
0: enough. Right. Interesting. I, I kind of make sense because that's a really trusting relationship and that's a private mm. personal matter. So I kind of understand that. Rio, out of interest, what does we've alluded to this a little bit, but just to get a, a, a clear picture from you, what does the forty-three-year-old Rio Ferdinand think when he looks back at say the twenty-one-year-old version of Rio Ferdinand uh, mentally and and the, the kind of mind space headspace you were in then and the one you're in now?
1: Oh, it's a good question. Um, it's um it's difficult because I always have this question to myself in some ways. If I was more open, more compassionate, showed more empathy, showed a bit more of an interest in others and had that willingness to help, would that have taken away from my mindset to win mm-hmm. and how obsessed I had to be and how focused I had to be? Giving time elsewhere, would that have then taken an element of the, the other side that was so, so needed to win? And that's the the wrestle that I always always think about now. A hundred percent would have if I could if I could build it. It would be definitely to be open, be compassionate, be able to listen and speak to others. Always asking how people are a lot more than what I did. I was mm-hmm. good with young players, young kids coming into the first team. I'd always say, "Listen, if you need anything, come to me. You're all right, it has things. You cool. Are you enjoying it. Are you good." Mm-hmm. But with everybody else, I was just like that. They're, they're set. They know what they're doing. Do not need to talk about anything like that with them Mm. Um, but then would it have gone against me winning would it have gone against me being the player that I became taking a small percentage away from that element to add to being a bit more open and a bit more emotionally available for others it's just it's a weird one I look now and think it probably wouldn't Mm. Um, I think it would have enhanced our dressing room having more people like that so uh, your answer is yeah (laughs) I Mm. would
0: and what, and what would you say to people, someone generally like a pal of yours or or maybe someone just listening to this show who who feels awkward about opening up and talking about mental health or asking about it because they've seen a friend who may be going through it? Because the way I see it is a bit like, um, you know, as, as talk clubs say, you don't get fit by going to the gym once, right? I'm a living hmm. testament to that. You're probably not. I'm <laughs> a living testament to that. So it's it's a regular thing, right? But to, to get to that place where we're regularly speaking and asking our friends about it, because there's still a long way to go in this for, 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 for young men, um, What's what advice do you give someone who's kind of awkward about making that first step?
1: Just think how good you'll feel the other side. Mm. I always feel once you have a conversation or you open up about how you're feeling from your mental standpoint or how if you're emotional about something, having a conversation is one of the most kind of, the freeness and the, the how light you feel after that conversation, you can't put into words really. It's, it's just a beautiful feeling. But I understand and know, and I'm with everybody that feels that awkward pressure and energy and you feel oh, it's really difficult to talk and open up. But once you make that first, it's the first word comes out that sets the conversation going, it's almost like your body's just exhaling and going, oh, thank you. Thank you very mm. much. So just to have this conversation, how I feel now. Wow, if only I'd done this ages ago. Always the way. Um, difficult, awkward conversations normally make you feel the best once they're done. Because it's, mm. it's pressure carrying that around of you. 100%. Mm. And I would, uh, one bit of advice I'd always give to people as well, in workplaces, in schools, wherever it is, at home. Every now and again, just ask someone, how you doing? Not once, twice. Normally, people can get away with going. I'm alright I'm all right And you go, mm. really? You're all right. Is everything all right for real, too? Mm. You're all right. Yeah. And that second one, you might get a different answer, and then a conversation. You mm. might help that person.
0: Is it like you're passionate about uh, um, at five, where you where you're sitting here right now? Is, is that something you're yeah. passionate about? Or your team there as well? Yeah. I mean, the team definitely. I
1: mean, we've all got issues, haven't we? We've all got p- mm. our personal problems and personal lives, st- and stuff goes on and. It's about making sure that the environment is somewhere where if someone has got stuff going on, they can openly talk to one of the team and go, Do you know what? It might not be me. It'll be someone in there that they can feel open enough and comfortable enough to say, you know what? I've got a bit of an issue here. Um, I may be acting a bit off or could you help me Or That is a given here. And we really, really try and promote that within within this building.
0: Yeah, I think same here at Stack. We got a lot of young guys, you know, and, and I vividly remember first moving to London try and make my way in the world and and how tough it could be not just for work but you know it, it's it's a tough place to live London when you're finding your way in the world and you've you know got a massive amount of of, of experience of, of living away from home and all the rest of it and it can get on top of you and it's really important i think to check in with people do, do you think you're getting i mean you've touched on it a bit there but do you think you're getting better at seeing the signs of people you know who maybe are struggling in a way that you weren't before because you've just become more aware of it?
1: Mm. I don't know I think that's a tough one because people are good at hiding Yeah, people are good at hiding their feelings and emotions and you can be in a room of a hundred people and not know what's going on behind the facade that everyone puts up um, I think we can all do better at that in giving ourselves them moments to look at people and really and that's why I always believe in asking them, how you're doing you're right because mm. just looking at someone's very difficult to, to work out if they've got an issue or not
0: yeah and do you think? Do you think that, like, in football clubs now, there's a lot more attention paid to it?
1: Uh, it's Funny, so I say. I just completed a documentary, actually. Yeah. About this, about mental health in football, and there is work being done by clubs, but there's not enough, mm. and there's a lot of work to be done in this area. Um, the fact that we're talking about it is great, but the resources that a lot of the clubs, especially at the top of the pyramid, have that that they can help these players with and also filtered down through the pyramid of football um, could make a huge impact. Um, but definitely the buzzword mental health is, is there, but uh, there's more to be done in that area. A hundred
0: percent. Because you know, the stories that we read as fans and as broadcasters that are most troubling to me uh, is when a player isn't deemed to be good enough to stay at the club. And they're, they're kind of, yeah, you know, their their contracts terminated or they don't get taken on, or whatever. To me, it feels like there's a massive gap between what the club then does for them, and you see too many young kids coming out with their parents or via whoever saying that you know I just felt like I was, I was nobody then after that, like no one even bothered to ring me, and and, and but they're they're making football clubs are making efforts to make that part of it better, right?
1: Yeah, I mean you need to watch a documentary because we cover this. Speak to young lads that are going through it now, and players that I, pl- I played with as a young player um, growing up. And obviously our journeys are very different mm. and how they exited football clubs and football in general were very mm. different. And them experiences are really kind of highlighted really well. But you've got to think about it. Young kids going into the game at six years old nowadays, seven years old. Yeah. There's a 0.04% chance of the kids, one and a half million kids playing today right now, grassroots football. Mm. 0.04% have a chance to make it top level. Yeah. Like well, any other industry, you do not go into that. You see your mum and dad say, whoa, 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 forget it. There's no yeah, point yeah. wasting yeah. your time, go and do something else. But because we love football, we're passionate about it and we see
0: the fruits that are there immediately, it's difficult to turn away from it. We all go for it. Is it, um, And because and, you're around, I think you're around the right age to be asked this, do, do you have, because a lot of ex-pros think that taking a player in that young into an academy and keeping them in the academy system for that long isn't the greatest preparation for them as a pro because they don't get... Because you look at someone like Ian Wright who came through very late and played in you know, Saturday football, Sunday football was able to toughen up. Is that, is that something you share or do you think you know, the way it is these days they have to I, be taken at that? Age?
1: I think every individual is different. For every Ian Wright or Jamie Vardy, there's a Mason Mount, Declan Rice, yeah, yeah. Phil Foden who've been yeah, in the yeah, system Phil. since they were born almost. So yeah. I think it's ev- no one size fits all. And I think you just got to look at the individual and what's best for the individual. I think um, the, the 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 thing that worries me would be the, the fun factor. When you get into a football club, no matter how fun the club try and make it, it is serious because the badge makes it serious. Because of the organisation and the set-up and the amount of people that are involved and all of the red tape around it makes it serious. No matter how fun clubs try and make it, And they are good at trying to make it fun and and taking the pressure off the kids. But the moment you get a badge on your chest, it's a totally different feeling when you're walking into that environment compared to when you're just playing for a Sunday team or a local team, grassroots team. Very different. One of my lads said it to me. He he now plays in the academy at an academy club. But we talk about this and he's saying when he played for his grassroots team, it was so much fun. He says his first year or 18 months in the academy wasn't fun, he said. But it is now, and he's got past that. Some kids don't get past that, where it's not fun.
0: Yeah, do you, do you make a conscious effort to speak to your kids about that stuff?
1: Yeah, you got to enjoy it. I always tell them if you're not enjoying it, stop. Like, yeah. Whatever it is, and like, as a parent, you see that there's a lot of pressure from the parents because they know what the rewards can look like now. Yeah. Um, I try and I try and take that pressure out from my kids. I'm I'm not here desperate for you to make it. I just want you to work hard. If you make it, you make it. If you don't. Work harder than in another industry. Just get up and go to work every day. We'd love it to be football, but if it's not, so be it. Hmm.
0: All right, Ray. Thanks very much for your time. It's been great to talk to you about this stuff. Um, you know, I think I think we all I think we both agree that we'd like people to open up more and spend a lot more time thinking about their mental health, looking out for their friends, all that all that good stuff. And you know, there's been a bit of progress made, but there's a lot more progress to be made. And I hope people listening to this understand that. Certainly you and I do care about this type of thing and a lot of people do as well. Um, so thank you for your time. Before you go, do you want to um, just tell us a bit more about um, Vibe with Five, um, which is the podcast that you're sat... You record, presumably, in the studio you're sat in now, which looks yeah, great, we, by
1: the way. We, we record in here um, every Monday, Vibe with Five. Um, myself, Joel and Stee, um, the two guys who host it with me. And then we every now and again, we get a few uh, players that are currently playing or ex-players with like the likes of Jermaine Defoe, um Van Percy, Jordan Henderson, um, Mark Noble, like loads of players. We've got a few big hitters coming on soon as well. Um, looking forward to doing that. But it's good, man. I enjoy it. I mean, I, I don't coach or anything like that, but it keeps you close to the game. You're talking about current issues. Um, yeah. Every Monday, it's like a roundup of what's going on. Um, and so it's good, man. It's, it's, it's funny. It gets hot in here sometimes as well yeah. because uh, emotions fly fly high.
0: What are you doing for the World Cup, is that you got some shows going throughout the World Cup or are you gonna be out in Qatar doing TV stuff?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna be out in Qatar, but we're gonna the team from Five by Five will be out there as well. Um we'll be hosting some some watch alongs here as well, but I think we're all gonna be out there. We've got a few different shows that we've got lined up to, to kind of put out while we're out there, so watch this space.
0: Great stuff. Thanks for Listen, thanks for taking the time to talk about what's a really important issue today. everyone really appreciates it. It's good for you for being here and um, and I hope to catch up with you again soon. Top man, thanks a lot and good luck with your your podcast. Love Excuse it. Ria. So, there you go. Fascinating stuff with Rio. Um, it's particularly affecting for me to hear him kind of contemplate whether being more compassionate and empathetic and, and being a better listener when he was a player, whether that would have taken the edge off of his performances and his desire to win. And, and he thinks now that it probably wouldn't. It's quite poignant stuff, I thought. Um, plenty of food for thought there. And I really enjoyed making the episode with Rio um, and I thanked him for his time as you heard but I'm really genu- you know, genuinely really grateful to, to have the time to, to chat with him about such an important subject um, remember asking how are you out of 10 could make mental health conversations a lot easier so try it with your friends family teammates and colleagues because being open about your mental health is vital to the well-being of yourself and of others uh, visit nivia.co.uk slash strength in numbers to find out more